You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Page 506 of the Pew Bible. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Salah so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Salah. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Um, It's not the only thing not working. I just realised the clock stopped. So... um... Cancel your lunch plans, because i got no idea what time it is. Um, did you remember that? That, um, that, that whole thing, it became a, like a viral thing. I think it might have started in my, uh, my second hometown in uh, Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania, but then it sort of was taken up around the world during lockdown, people putting together um, their versions of that song, and it was... Um, kind of special, like if you saw it at the time, then you would have seen it locked inside your home. Um, I think that was about three years ago, the first time we were locked down, and, uh, um, and uh, yeah, the, the song um, meant something. I mean, it meant something as we watched it then, uh, but it meant something particularly profound during that time, and it sort of, I think, proved the thesis we have here which we sort of drag out each year during this series, and that is that, um, that God has given us art in general and, and, and poetry and songs and psalms in particular to sort of bridge the gap between our experience and our ability to articulate that experience. That's, that's the purpose of songs, poetry, psalms. There is something profound going on here, and I don't have the words to express how I'm feeling, or in this case, my desire for God to be present in the midst of this catastrophe, and so songs do that for us. They give us language. They give us a way to express the depth of our feeling. And that's what the book of Psalms does. You might know that the, the, the words, the kind of the thrust of the um, meaning of that song comes from the book of Numbers, from the priestly blessing. Um, book of Numbers, chapter 6. Do you want to pull that up and we'll read? This is where, um, where it comes from. It's going to come up any second now. I can just tell it. Oh, well, let me read it. Um, the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face, upon you and give you peace. 
It's not the first song, that one that we just heard. It's not the first song that quotes this priestly blessing in it. About two or 3,000 years ago, um, a songwriter picked up his pen or his quill or his whatever he had, scratching into whatever he was writing on, and he wrote this psalm that we just heard read a little before. And he took this priestly blessing as his starting point. Psalm 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Selah. We don't know exactly what selah means, but scholars reckon it's probably a musical term and probably, probably means like that, that there should be a pause, a pause for reflection. Remember, these songs are written not just for you to read, early in the morning before you start your day, though they are for that, but they're, re- they're, they're, they're written to be sung and said by congregations. And so it's a mark there. This is something that needs to be stopped, paused, reflected upon. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his fi- face shine upon us. Even in that one verse, there's lots, of, uh, lots for us to take away from this morning. I mean, we've been talking about it a whole lot this morning, the evident blessings of God among us, but this reminds us that the blessing of God in all of its forms, from being able to play a netball game through to making it through the night alive, these blessings come to us by his grace. There is no blessing that comes by, from God that you deserve to get. That's what grace means, right? It's unmerited favor. God looks upon you with favor. He gives you gifts and blessings, and none of it was deserved. May God be gracious to us, and in being gracious to us, bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. That's just a a poetic way of saying that God looks upon us with favor. It's really restating the first line. God looks at us. He's not angry at our wickedness, though he is, but his main feeling towards us is one of Favor, love, blessing. It's the face of a parent who is beaming with pride. We use that terminology, right? He was beaming with pride. She was beaming with pride. That's what it means for, 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 for God's face to shine. A couple of weeks ago, I went to our kids' first um, assembly for the year, Renee and I went along, and the reason we went along particularly to this one was because India was being um, consecrated, uh, no, she's not the queen, um, she was being, I don't know, installed as, a, as one of the school captains, and she's in grade six this year, and she'd worked really hard to have that position. It wasn't like in my day where you just had to be a, a, a suck up to the teacher, like she had to go through, she had to write an essay about why she should be a leader, and then she had to go through a group interview and then an individual interview. It was like becoming the president or something. And, and, she, and, and, and so it was a special day. And so um, Renee asked me just to, to move from where we were standing to, to the back of the room so I could get a good kind of shot of her um, receiving her badge. And as I was waiting for her to come up and receive it, I looked across at Renee and she was glowing. She was shining. Her face was shining because she was looking upon the daughter that she loves, and was proud of her. She was for her. 
This is what the psalmist has in mind as he prays. May God be gracious to us and bless us. All blessing is a result of his grace. May his face shine upon us. May he look upon us with favor. May he be like a parent who is proud. Selah. Pause. Reflect. The psalmist, the poet, the songwriter, he wants us to ask the question, I think, why? Why do we want God to be gracious and bless us? Why do we want God to to express his favor? Why? What's the purpose clause? And he gives it to us. Let me read verse 1 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face to shine upon us. Selah, purpose clause, so that, so that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. That's why he wants God to bless them. The blessing doesn't doesn't exist in its own right to serve its own purposes. It's not just we want good stuff, we want good lives, we want health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not the prayer. It's that, yes, we want God to be gracious and bless us and and express his favor towards us, but the purpose of it is that he might be known, that salvation would come to the nations. expressing this, this this psalmist, he hasn't come up with anything unique. He's just picking up a thread that runs all the way from back in Genesis where God first graciously blesses Abram and chooses him and says, from you I'm going to make a nation. Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation, he says to Abram. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Same purpose clause, right? So that you'll be a blessing. So that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. One of the major reasons the Bible tells us that God is gracious, first of all to Israel and then all the way through his blessings and his his salvation plan is so that others will be blessed. So the blessing will ripple. It will echo over the whole face of the earth. In a time when Tribes like Israel were consumed with themselves. Their their only priority was their own survival for good reason. This message from God blows that apart. This blessing I'm giving you is not for yourselves, but for the whole earth. Is that how you guys pray for blessing? I hope you pray for blessing. I hope you pray for blessings on your marriages if you're married, on your families if you have children, on your household wherever you are, on your workplaces, on this church. I hope you pray for blessing upon blessing. Like ask for as much as you can. That the well 
of blessing is bottomless. So you don't have to, it's not like at the, at the church lunch where you've got to look and see how much we've got and just calculate how many people are here and figure out how many sausages you can take, right? It's bottomless. So you just keep asking for more. Pour out your blessings on myself, on my family, on my church, on my community. Pour out your blessings. Now the question is, do your prayer, are your prayers designed so that that blessing pours down onto you and then you become the container for it? Or do you pray biblical prayers for blessing whereby you are the beneficiary of the blessing and the conduit to deliver it on to the nations? All the peoples on earth will be blessed by you, through you. I don't know if you caught the news about the wonderful work of God that's evidently happening at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. There's this, just a, a Bible school, and uh, it's a Methodist Bible school, so they have this history of really praying fervently for revival, something Methodists do really well. And through the years, I think there was a 1905 revival there, and then there was a more recent one, like 2006 or something. And, and by revival, I just mean there is in the people who are gathered this desperate desire, thirst, hunger for God to, to be manifest among them. And there is an, an expectation and an anticipation that he will arrive. We know that God is here all of the time, but his manifest presence, that is just the, the overwhelming sense that he is with us, he is present, he is for us, his face is shining upon us. Revivals tend to follow a pattern that's quite predictable. It's normally a small group of faithful people praying, no glitz, no lights, no smoke machines, just bare-hearted desire for God to move. And that's what's happened. They started, uh, so on February 8th, they had a chapel service, like any other. Afterwards, the musicians said, we just want to keep playing some songs and pray. And that was February 8th. It's still going. It has not stopped 24 hours a day since then. And people have this sense that, well, not just a sense, but absolute assurance that just God has turned up and is doing something extraordinary. The coolest thing about it is if, you I mean, there's some video of it and, and, you know, and, and the media is getting hold of it and people are turning up and there's t- tourists, so, you know, people want to turn it into a, t- a tourist attraction, but the thing about it is it's just a little chapel with people praying and praising God together. There's, there's no glitz. N- none of what the, the church growth people in the 1990s told us that we need to have bigger and better and fancier gatherings so that people would turn up and God might do something. None of that is evident at all. It's like God wants to say, like in spite of the fact that this is really like 
low budget, lo-fi, like because of that almost, I'm going to show up in power. All of these moves of God are preceded by this eager, anticipatory prayer. Like a laying before God, sometimes literally just a prostrate laying on the ground. Like, I have nothing to give. I have no way of manufacturing this. This is all going to be you or nothing. Move for your glory, for your name, for the sake of the nations. Move. That's how these things start. This is the kind of prayer that this psalmist prays. Have a look at it in verse 4 to 6, or 3 to 5, sorry, 3 to 5. This is a prayer. This is an, an eager prayer of anticipation. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Selah. Let the people praise you, God. Let all the people praise you. Not content that we are praising you. Not content that, that we, the, the, maybe the, the spiritual elite in Israel, right? The, I'm, I'm a psalmist and these are the people who do the worship and, and these are the priests who serve the people. And not content that we are the chosen people of God, right? But with eager anticipation, pleading with God, let all the peoples praise you, not just us. That's the prayer we need to pray, Red Door. Yeah, it's great that we can be here. It's great that most of the chairs have people in them. It's wonderful to be part of a loving Christian community. But the prayer ought to be, let all the peoples praise you. Whether they come into this church or gather in other churches or gather on the streets and the sports fields, like in every place, let all the peoples praise you. That's the heartbeat of this psalm. It's a prayer of pleading with God, recognizing that he's the one who gives grace. He's the one that looks upon his people with favor. He's the only one who can change human hearts. He's the only one who can incline us to praise him. So we plead, let them praise you, Lord. We're not content that this be a house of praise. We want every house in Caroline Springs, in Melton City Council, in the city of Melbourne, in this nation, and on the face of the earth. Every house ought to be a house of praise. Let them praise you. He paints this, this beautiful and vivid picture of what this would look like if all of the nations, all of the households of the earth were to praise God together, then verse 4, they would rejoice and shout for joy. 
They would understand that God judges them with fairness, that he leads us. He leads his people, the people whom he has created. It's a picture of what the world would be like if God was in charge of every human heart. If every person on the face of the earth was given over to praise, then the world would be a beautiful place. Nations would rejoice and shout for joy. It would be the end of the pattern of living across the face of the earth that has been evident since Genesis 3, that of warring factions. Don't believe the hype. Russia invading Ukraine is nothing new. It gets more coverage now than it ever has. There's nothing new about it. It has been happening consistently since the beginning of time, or at least since the fall of man. It is the absolute inevitable outcome of people serving themselves rather than the living God. People governing themselves rather than allowing themselves to be governed by the living God. The picture which will only ever fully be realized, not in this age, but in the age to come. The picture that should excite us and fuel our prayers for the nations is the picture of all people living under the gracious government of the Prince of Peace. There's this prophecy about what this looks like in Isaiah chapter 2. This is what he says. God shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No need. You don't need to learn warcraft. You don't need to have swords or spears or atomic bombs. Because under the Prince of Peace, the whole earth is at peace. This is the picture of life on the face of the earth when all of the nations praise God together. And so we pray, God, thank you that we get to praise you. We say that a lot, right? Thank you, Lord, that we get to gather in a place where no one's going to beat the door down and put us to death. Thank you for the freedom that we have even to run over time a little bit just to gather and praise you. But... We are not content, Lord. This is not good enough, Lord. We want all the peoples to praise you. That's the prayer of the psalmist. The, the prayer of eager anticipation. Rejoice. He wants the nations to rejoice. You know what I saw the other day? It took my breath away. This is Thursday. I went for a walk 
I was trying to solve this problem, trying to figure something out in the scriptures, and I couldn't figure it out. And so when that happens, I normally beat myself like my head against the desk for a little while, and then I think I ought to go for a walk, and maybe, maybe, maybe God will give me the answer just as I, as I get out, get out of this place. And so as I'm walking down towards the lake, I see a man who's obviously blind with a cane, and he has a, a woman helping him walk along the footpath. And so I, I observe that, and I keep walking, and I go around the lake, and when I come back, I see him again. This time, she's sitting down on a seat in the shade, and he, I don't know, he's late 20s or 30, he is on the swing at the park next to the lake, just swinging with everything he has. And, and his face is beaming with joy. And every now and then he's saying, Woo! And you know, if you close your eyes when you're on the swing, it feels even more intense, like that, feel, that, that rush in your gut. I assume that's what's going on for him. That's the picture the psalmist has of the nations. Once they are under the lordship of Christ... They will be glad. They will rejoice. They will shout with joy. It's good to pray for immediate needs in the nations around us. Catastrophes, famines, war. It's good to pray for these things. But we ought also pray that nations would come under the lordship of Jesus. And therefore shout for joy even when the famine comes even when war breaks out. Selah. All right, last couple of verses. Here, we're just re restating the big idea here, all right? He's going to go back and, just, and, and, li and leave us in no doubt about what he is on about, what he is praying for, what he anticipates God to do. Verse 6 and 7, the earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. You, my friends, brothers, sisters, seated in this room today, you are blessed. Not sort of hashtag blessed like a throwaway Instagram thing because the weather's nice and you look good in this photo. Not that, like, I mean, actually, deeply, profoundly, irrevocably, irrepressibly, irrefutably blessed. You are blessed. The earth has produced its harvest, and God has blessed us. What's the purpose of that blessing? All the ends of the earth will fear him, respect him, worship him. The purpose of you being blessed this morning is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The, the old saying is, you know, you're blessed to be a blessing. Turns out it's more than just a trite, you know, bumper sticker. It is true. This is the reason God has blessed you. 
so that you might be a blessing. Now, listen, if that's true, what's Satan's scheme? It's always good to ask yourself this question. In every area that God is moving, Satan has schemes. Paul encourages us not to be naive, not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. All right, so the scheme that I could see him affecting, if he had his way, would be to get you to disbelieve in the first place that you are blessed. Right? If the sequence is God blesses you graciously and then through you tons more people get blessed, then what's, what's the choke point? He can't stop God blessing you. Satan is way too weak to stop God blessing you, but he can stop you from recognizing it. So, if all you ever do is look around you and see people who have more stuff than you, better things than you, more money or whatever than you, then you won't recognize that you've been blessed and you'll fail to bless others. You see the genius of that diabolical scheme? It's part of our culture and part of just sort of a capitalist culture in general for us always to look to the people who have more than us. So we always feel like we don't have very much. That's a lie. Paul tells us that every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies has been given us. Quite apart from the fact that if you're here today living in this part of the world, you are filthy rich. Like top 1% type rich. So, what happens every time, I know my, my kids are watching on Zoom this morning, I'm sorry, I, I throw them under the bus, I love them, they're the best, all right, way better than your kids, but here, here's, here's the thing, <laughs> if I get, if, I, if I've got a, a thing of popcorn and I'm putting it into two bowls for them, I know as soon as I put it in front of them, what's going to happen? They're going to check and say, he got more than me, <laughs> right? And it, it, it got to the point where I used to take my little coffee grinder scale and measure it out to the gram. That's funny because everyone knows they're exactly the same as that. You never grew out of that thing. So here's the scheme, right? As soon as God blesses you and continues to bless you, you are prone to always think that someone is more blessed than you and therefore you fail to be a blessing to others. Rather... You, you need to have the eyes of faith to recognize the, the, the cataract, right? That's the, 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 the waterfall of God's blessing that he's showering on you at every minute of every day. Then Satan can go back to hell. And, and you can be free to bless those around you. Paul was speaking to, the Apostle Paul was speaking to a church in the first century who didn't get this. They didn't understand how blessed they were, and so they were stingy. And, and they happened to be very rich people living in a very rich part of the world, and they were ignoring very, very poor people, particularly those in Jerusalem. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is what he says. You will be enriched, he says to the Christians, you will be enriched in every way, purpose clause, so that to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
For the, the, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Can you see this is exactly the same pattern as the psalmist and as the Genesis 12 calling of Abram? The blessings of God flow graciously so that they would overflow to everyone around us. Which leaves us with the question, right? Like, if this is true, if this is true that God has blessed us richly, like in an overflowing kind of way, then how are we going to be a blessing to the nations around us? You know, the nations just means everyone who isn't the people of God. So literally, the nation states of the globe and all of the people around us that aren't praising God this morning and don't know his love and favor and salvation. That's the small question we need to answer as a church. Both you individually, in your households, and in this house of faith, we need to answer that question in this season, at this time, with the evident blessings that we have been bestowed. How are we then going to bless those around us? That's the question. It's an unavoidable question. It's a question that is posed to us like from the beginning of the Bible through to the end. I love that the psalmist mentions us, right? Us in Caroline Springs. He mentions us in verse 7. He says, God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. That's us. Two or three thousand years ago, he wrote that and now it's true. Israel was blessed so that Caroline Springs would fear him, would love him, would worship him. It's the ends of the earth, right? There isn't much more to go. Tazzy, maybe, and I'm not sure God's grace has got there yet. So, like, we're at this point, that was a joke. That was a joke. God's, God's grace is here. So how do we take up the call that first came to Israel? How do we take up the call to bless the nations around us? This is the question. How will we bless them? How will we bless them in such a way that uh, your salvation may be known? Your way, verse 2, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation amongst all nations. How do we bless the people around us so that God's ways, what he's like, his attributes, his nature, his love, and his salvation would be known? This is the question. You know, in 2007, a bunch of people gathered here on this land, on this paddock. Here we go. I've got a photo of it. You might recognize some familiar faces, some beautiful, faithful, familiar faces. But 
bunch of people gathered in the paddock that was this plot of land and they had shovels in their hands and they were going to begin the work of raising up a a house of prayer and a house of praise. Most of those people were here long before you or I were. But they came here with a sense that they had been blessed and they wanted to bless the nations. So the question is, how do we fit into that? How do we fit into that mission that existed way back then and existed thousands of years before and existed in the mind and the heart of God before the foundations of the earth? How do we find our place in that story? That's the question. I just want to tell you that, and I'll finish with this, I don't know what time it is. I want to tell you, and I I guess this is a a kind of a confession, that um, so this is my 12th year here, and it is, I think, probably impossible for you to be that long in one place without um, what's called mission creep occurring, which is you come to a place with a really like a strong sense of what God wants to do and, and you set out on a course and then over time that tends to flag a little bit or it becomes a little bit blurry or, or the energy goes out of it a little bit. And so just being here long enough and then having the lockdown period which literally kind of locked us into this very narrow purview of what ministry looked like here. It was very limited and very... Um, inward focused, I think that kind of dynamic had, had caused me to kind of to narrow, narrow my own vision and to think about the ministry of this church just in day-to-day and, and, and urgent over important and, and all of that. So I bless God, I thank God, I praise God that through the people of this church, he has called me, he has he, he has has called me to open my eyes again and, and to look out, to, 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 to take advantage of the, the perspective um, that ranges beyond just the, the here and now and the immediate context of this place. I told you James is preaching next week. He was catalytic in this. He sat down with me and just, and, and just gently and in, in his way, which is very... Um, unassuming, called me to think again, big picture. Praise God for that. So here's what I see. I see this year as a year of clarification. I love that word. Clarification. I see God and I expect God to clarify, to clear up for us what it is that he's calling us to do, us specifically, us in this time, in this place, at the ends of the earth as we are, in this moment in salvation history, what it is that he's calling us to do in this place. And I'm also expecting a clarification of how you can be part of it.
And by part of it, I mean, like, under God, all of it. Clarification of what he's calling us to do and a clarification of how you can be involved so that we can answer the question, since God has blessed us so richly, how then will we bless those around us? March 25, Saturday, March 25, the morning of Saturday, March 25, we're going to gather here. We're going to eagerly and expectantly ask God to lead us into this clarification of what he wants us to do. I'll give you an idea of what I think that is, and then we'll pray it through, and then we'll eat together. March 25, save the date. If you are a member at this church, if you um, serve at this church, and if you are none of the above, you're welcome to come. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the power it has to draw us out from ourselves. We need that so much. Thank you for giving us a kingdom vision for this earth, an eternal vision for this earth. Please save us from navel-gazing. Please save us from self-service. Please save us from attempting to build our own pitiful little kingdom here. Please give us vision. Please give us mission. And please bring all the nations of the earth to praise you with great joy and thanksgiving, just as we're about to do now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.